This passage describes uh, David uh, bringing the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem a second time, having failed in his first attempt. 1 Corinthians 15, David built houses for himself in the city of David, and he prepared a place for the Ark of God and pitched a tent for it. Then David said, No one may carry the Ark of God but the Levites, for the Lord has chosen them to carry the Ark of God and to minister before him forever. And David gathered all Israel together at Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the Lord to its place, which he had prepared for it. Then David assembled the children of Aaron and the Levites and the sons of Kohath, Uriel the chief, and 120 of his brethren, of the sons of Merai, Asaiah the chief, and 220 of his brothers, brethren, of the sons of Gershom, Joel the chief, and 130 of his brethren, of the sons of Elizaphan, Shemaiah the chief, and two hundred of his brethren, of the sons of Hebron, Eliel the chief, and eighty of his brethren, of the sons of Uzziel, Abinadad the chief, and one hundred and twelve of his brethren. And David called for Zadok, and for Abiathar the priests, and for the Levites, for Uriel, Asaiah, Joel, Shemaiah, Eliel, and Aminadab. Then he said to them, You are the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites. Sanctify yourselves, you and your brethren, that you may bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel to the place I have prepared for it. For because you did not do it the first time, the Lord our God broke out against us because we did not consult him about the proper order. So the priests and the Levites sanctified themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel. And the children of the Levites bore the ark of God on their shoulders by its poles, as Moses had commanded according to the word of the Lord. Thus far the reading of God's word. May he add his blessing to it. I invite you to turn with me also in conjunction with this scripture to page four, um, page 890 in the back of the Trinity Psalter hymnal, page 890, Lord's Day 35, dealing with the uh, second Commandments, the commandment that you shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the iniquity of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who reject me, but showing love to thousands, generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. Concerning that, we read on page 890, Lord's Day 35, What is God's will for us in the second commandment? That we in no way make any image of God, nor worship him in any other way than has been commanded in his word. May we then not make any image at all? God cannot and may not be visibly portrayed in any way. Although creatures may be portrayed, yet God forbids making or having such images in order to worship them or serve God through them. But may not images as books for the unlearned be permitted in churches? No, we should not try to be wiser than God. He wants the Christian community instructed by the living preaching of his word, not by idols that cannot even talk. Beloved of the Lord, when David wanted to bring the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, he was desirous of doing a good thing. God eventually blessed the effort, so bringing the ark was not a bad thing. 
But the first time he tried, he failed. And not only failed, the incident ended in great tragedy. You may recall the account of how they placed the Ark of the Covenant on a cart, and the cart was drawn by uh, oxen, and on one uh, place the oxen stumbled, and the cart tipped, and the Ark was in danger of falling in the dirt. So a man walking alongside, a man by the name of Uzzah, reached out his hand to steady the Ark, and when he touched the Ark, God struck him dead. Now, in this event, David had good intentions. He was doing a good thing in that he was bringing the ark to Jerusalem, to a tent that had been prepared for it, and uh, that was a good deed. He had good intentions. And the man who put out his arm to, or his hand to steady the ark, he didn't want to see the ark of God fall in the dirt. He had good intentions. These both had good intentions, yet God wasn't pleased with their good intentions because he had stipulated through Moses many centuries earlier that when the Ark of the Covenant is moved, there are four rings on the four top corners, and there are poles, uh, two poles that go through those rings, and they stick out uh, in front and behind the Ark. And the the part that sticks out is supposed to go on the shoulders of the Levites so that uh, the Levites carry the ark on their shoulders using the poles that go through the rings. God stipulated that's how you move it. And, of course, Moses wrote that uh, several hundred years before David, and uh, that had been forgotten. They forgot to check. Uh, and so they just said, well, the easiest way to get it there is to put it on a cart and let's do it. And they, would, they deliberately uh, disobey God. That is, they, they didn't say, oh, we know how it's supposed to go, but we think we can do it a better way. No, that wasn't the case. They just didn't consult the scriptures. They, they just thought, let's do it this way. This seems like a good thing to do and a good way to do it, so let's do it that way. And God was not pleased. God says, when you worship me, and when you deal with the things that are have to do with worship, you're, you're supposed to do it the way that I command. Uh, the two sons of Aaron uh, had to learn that lesson as well. We read in the book of Leviticus that uh, on one occasion they decided to offer incense to God. Now, that's nothing wrong with that. God commands that incense be burned in his presence, but they wanted to do it on an occasion that God hadn't commanded. They thought they would go above and beyond what God had required. They would uh, give extra worship to God. And so they uh, offered unauthorized incense, and fire broke out from the presence of God and consumed those two sons of Aaron, and they were killed on the spot by their unauthorized burning of incense. Again, their intention was good, but good intentions aren't enough. What this boils down to is that when we worship God, we must worship him as he commands. And that's what this commandment, the second commandment, is all about. It's about worshiping God and how we are to worship God and that we are to worship God according to his commands. And I want to deal with this commandment using a simple outline, which I use For most, but not all of the commandments, a simple outline, two points. What does this commandment uh, forbid? And secondly, what does this commandment 
require. What does this commandment forbid? Well, what it forbids is the false worship of the true God. Uh, The false or the wrong worship of the true God. I emphasize that because some people think that the second commandment is really just a continuation of the first commandment. You know, the first commandment says, you shall have no other gods. And uh, then the second commandment says, you shall make no images. And if you just uh, take that out of context, uh, you would think, well, he said no other gods. And uh, that includes don't make any images of those other gods. But that's not how we should understand this second commandment. We should understand it as God is saying here, not only do you have no other gods, but when you worship me, you're not to worship me with any images. That was uh, something that uh, Israel was uh, prone to do when uh, Moses went up on the mountain and was gone for 40 days. uh, Aaron was confronted with a situation. These people... uh, uh, like having something they can see. Moses uh, represented God to them, but now Moses is gone. So they say, well, make another representation of God. So he he made a golden calf. And when he presented the golden calf, he didn't say, this is a God from Egypt. He said, this is the God who brought you out of Egypt. This is this is the true God. This is a, a picture of the true God for you to direct your worship to. And... Uh, Likewise, in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 15, there is the commandment, uh, make no image. And if you look at the context of that, it's preceded by these, this statement, uh, make no image. You saw no form of any kind the day the Lord spoke to you out of Horeb. Why should you make no image? Because when God spoke to you at Mount Horeb, When God spoke to you, you didn't see anything. You didn't see any image of him. Because you didn't see any image of him, you may make no image of him. When uh, Solomon's son Rehoboam made a very unwise decision, causing the northern tribes to rebel, uh, they uh, went off, the ten northern tribes, under the leadership of King Jeroboam I, And what was the sin of Jeroboam that was perpetuated by all the subsequent uh, kings of the north? Uh, You read about it again and again that he did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam. It was to make a golden calf. In fact, he made two of them. Uh, He put one in the city of Dan and one in the city of Bethel. Uh, He made it easy for the people of God to worship. They didn't have to travel far. They were either close to Dan, or if they weren't close to Dan, they were close to Bethel. And uh, there was a golden calf in each place. And he said, this is your God. You don't have to go to the temple in Jerusalem anymore. Jerusalem was under uh, Rehoboam's rule, and he didn't want his subjects going down under Rehoboam's, uh, ter- into Rehoboam's territory. So uh, he said, I'll set up worship centers for the true God right here. And he put golden calves there. And uh, so uh, this commandment is dealing with that sort of thing of of making images of the true God. And why is that? Why is that bad? Well, there's two basic reasons why that's bad. First of all, because there is nothing that that can represent God adequately. God is uh, infinite, eternal, almighty, everywhere present, all wise, all knowing, invisible and all glorious, infinite in all his perfections. 
How do you represent that with something that you make with your hands? There's nothing on earth that can adequately represent him. And when you do try to make something, it's an insult. God says at one point, you exchanged my glory for the image of an ox that eats grass. You compared me to that. That's disgusting. That's demeaning and belittling that you would try to say that the glory of this golden ox is is similar to God's glory. There's nothing on earth that can uh, uh, hold a candle to God and and reflect uh, his glory. There is one image of God, of course, and that's human beings. But uh, we are forbidden uh, also to bow down and worship them. We're to worship only God. We're to make no images. Another reason why it's wrong to do that is because God said to Adam and Eve and through Adam and Eve to us, uh, you are to exercise dominion over the birds of the air, over the fish of the sea and everything that uh, moves, uh, crawls or creeps across the the earth. You're to subdue the earth. And of course, uh, in Christ, we have been uh, seated with him in heavenly realms, uh, Uh, Seated on the throne with him, we are to reign with Christ over the creation. And now shall, shall those who reign over the creation bow down to it or any portion of it? We belittle the work of Christ. Christ lifted us up. (laughs) He made us kings and queens again to rule over the creation and for us to bow down to a piece of the creation and uh, to worship it uh, belittles the work of Christ. Uh, the reason given in the commandment for God forbidding to make images is because he is a jealous God. Now, some people will say, well, what's that all about? Jealous God? That, that doesn't sound right. Uh, we think of, uh, of some uh, husband who is suspicious of his wife without cause, and he is uh, fearful and uh, filled with unreasoning and ir- irrational fear and uh, becomes abusive of his wife because of it, uh, that kind of jealousy. Is, is that what it means for God? No. The root word for jealousy means God guards and protects what belongs to him. And there's nothing wrong with a husband wanting to guard and protect uh, his wife because, indeed, uh, they belong to each other. Uh, The two have become one. They belong together. And uh, uh, a husband should exert himself in keeping that marriage uh, together. And God uh, has uh, this glory. And uh, he's jealous for that glory because you and I were created To know his glory, to appreciate his glory, to see his glory, to rejoice in his glory, to glorify him and enjoy him forever. And if we besmirch and becloud his glory with false images of him, uh, then we miss him. And if we miss him, we miss the purpose of our lives. Uh, And so because he wants the best for us, he wants us to know his glory. He says, don't try to make anything to represent me because it will only demean me and you'll miss me that way. You'll you'll be uh, worshiping a figment of your imagination and not really experiencing me. But uh, some have argued, but isn't it all right to to make pictures uh, to uh, teach the unlearned? at the time of the Reformation and for many centuries before, and uh, even to some extent today, 
uh, one branch of the uh, of Christendom uh, depicts Bible stories with pictures. Uh, in the time of the Reformation, many of the the peasants were illiterate and couldn't read the Bible, and so uh, they would uh, make a a panel of pictures that uh, showed the different scenes of a particular incident in the life of Jesus or in an incident from the Old Testament. And uh, it was like uh, comic books without uh, words. You know, you go from scene to scene to scene and you, you get the gist of the story by looking at it. And the reformers said, no, we shouldn't be wiser than God. If they can't read, teach them to read. And and uh, the Protestant Reformation became uh, known for its uh, advocacy of uh, schools and uh, colleges and universities uh, flourished uh, under the uh, the Protestant uh, Reformation and uh, the Protestant cause uh, because we want people to be able to read the Bible and understand the, the scriptures and be taught from the word and not from pictures. God wants us to learn from him. Uh, not from our corrupt imaginations of what he must be like. That's what the commandment forbids, the false worship of the true God. What does it require of us? Well, it requires of us that we worship God as he commands. If you uh, look at the uh, the second commandment, it says, uh, you shall not do something, not make any images, because I'm a jealous God, don't bow down to them or worship them and so forth. But uh, I will show my love, I will, I will bless those, showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Now the last phrase there is, keep my commandments. So negatively, don't worship him according to your own imagination and, and uh, make up ways to worship him, but do worship him according to his commandments, the, the, the It's about the worship of the true God. Second commandment is about the worship of the true God. And he says, you're to worship me the way I command. Uh, This has come to be known as uh, the regulative principle of worship. The regulative principle of worship. That is, our worship is regulated by the commands of God. Uh, We worship, uh, for example, on the Lord's Day, because in the New Testament we read that Paul says, on the first day of the week when you gather, and uh, that makes sense because Jesus was raised on the first day of the week, and he appeared uh, periodically on the first day of the week to his disciples. That's when he meets with his church now, is on the first day of the week. There were eighth-day Sabbaths in the Old Testament that point uh, to uh, uh uh, the, the fulfillment of Sabbath being on the first day of the week and so forth. And uh, the scripture tells us that when we come, we're to sing, we're to bring gifts, we're to pray. There should be no blood sacrifices. We should eat the Lord's Supper. We should baptize. Uh, these are the things that uh, are commanded in scripture. There are commandments. There are examples. There are principles that are to govern our worship. And uh, when we worship, we are governed by these uh, uh, commands, these obligatory examples and uh, principles of Scripture. Our worship is a, a meeting with God where God speaks to us and we respond to Him and then He speaks to us and we respond to Him. There's a holy dialogue going on between us and God. Uh, that is the character of Christian worship and what we do when we come together. You know, Jesus uh, warns us in Matthew 15 not to give religious value to man-made ceremonies, uh, 
the Pharisees had given their religious value to uh, symbolic washing of hands and so forth. And uh, Paul in Colossians 2, 20 and 23 condemns uh, practices that he says have the appearance of wisdom, uh, but do not uh, 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 prevent us from indulging the lusts of the flesh. They have no power to prevent us from sinning. Uh, therefore, we must be careful not to try to invent things in the worship of God. Many people have wondered uh, to what extent the Old Testament worship patterns are to be a guide for our worship. Uh, it's interesting to note that only a few aspects of Old Testament worship appear to carry over into the New Testament pattern. And, and we wonder why that is. Well... Jesus gives us some insight into that in John 4 when he said to uh, the Samaritan woman, uh, The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Uh, he's talking there about the fact that uh, there's coming soon a time when it will not be God's will for you to go to Jerusalem and worship. He's uh, predicting here already, even before the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24, where he says not one stone will be left on another with regard to the temple. He's already predicting that the temple's days are numbered. The temple's days are numbered. That temple on earth is, uh, is on its way out, and it will soon be gone. And worship there will, uh, as the prescribed way, will cease. And also, with regard to the Samaritans, they had an alternate place uh, where they thought they should worship. And uh, Jesus says, not there either. There's going to be no prescribed place anymore on earth for worship. Now we are to worship in spirit and in truth. To understand that, remember that the tabernacle and the temple on earth were models of the heavenly original. Uh, there is a sanctuary in heaven. There is a holy of holies in heaven and a, uh, a, a place of worship in heaven. And when Moses uh, was given instructions, he was shown a pattern of that to be copied on the earth. And so when he copied what he saw from heaven, when he copied it, because what's in heaven is glorious, he made that which was on earth to be glorious. He made it with uh, gold and precious stones and purple fabric embroidered with gold thread and elaborate decorations of molded and polished brass. And they had antiphonal choirs singing back and forth to each other, multiple musical instruments. It was a, a feast of sensory overload. A feast of sensory overload, one commentator put it. Uh, New Testament or Old Testament worship was, was designed to reflect what was going on in heaven. Jesus says, that's going to stop. That's not going to happen on earth anymore. Now, you get to worship at the true sanctuary. You get by the Spirit to bring your worship to Jerusalem in heaven. In uh, Hebrews 12, he, uh, the author of Hebrews says, You have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festival gathering. 
That's where our worship ascends to now. If we were to decorate our earthly buildings to look like uh, Solomon's temple with all its gold and glitter and so forth, we would be uh, detracting from the fact that our worship is not uh, directed here, but is directed up there to the true Jerusalem where Christ is now at God's right hand. Uh, we are to come with confidence to the throne of grace, and the throne of grace is in heaven. And so there's no earthly place where our worship is directed. Uh, it's the heavenly sanctuary that is the true sanctuary, and that's what it means to worship in spirit and in truth. Uh, we, uh, therefore, uh, don't uh, decorate our buildings like that. Our buildings can be, you know, pretty, but they shouldn't uh, draw our attention away from the fact that our worship is uh, brought up to heaven. And uh, all the smells and bells and all the other things that go with it, all of that, Jesus says, it's over. Uh, we don't do that anymore. Now uh, we worship in heaven. That's where our worship is uh, directed. Any attempt to uh, duplicate the glory of the Old Testament on earth is going to uh, be going back to the shadows and draw our attention away from the heavenly focus of our worship. Um, but uh, we, we even need to be careful with regard to music. You know, there's uh, music has a very uh, intoxicating effect. John Calvin used that word. Uh, music is uh, intoxicating and uh, it uh, controls our emotions. And he says, uh, we're to have emotions in worship, but those emotions should be the result of the joy of knowing that Christ has died for sinners. It should uh, uh, be uh, sadness at the, at the knowledge of our sins. You know, it, it's the message that should control our emotions. And so any attempt to control our emotions with jokes or humor or drama or any attempt to control our emotions through uh, music, uh, any entertainment that is uh, me-centered and not God-centered, uh, all of that is uh, out of place. Now we have to confess, however, that there's no church on earth that has uh, ever offered up to God perfect worship. Even among conservative, confessionally reformed uh, denominations, there is disagreement about how the regulative principle should uh, work in our midst. And therefore, we, uh, we ought to uh, deal with one another with some uh, humility, recognizing that though our worship may never be perfect, uh, it is acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Uh, we come to God through Christ, and because we come to God through Christ, Christ sanctifies and cleanses our worship and makes it acceptable to him. But obeying this commandment is more than just uh, offering to God acceptable worship through Christ in accordance with his commands. Uh, the word worship and the word service are very closely related in the Bible. In fact, the same uh, Greek word and the same Hebrew word that means worship can be, in some instances, translated service. And uh, that means that our worship is one of the ways that we serve God, but we can serve God in ways more than just uh, formal corporate worship. Uh, you get that idea somewhat in Romans 12, verse 1, where it says, Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is your worship. 
uh, offering your bodies as a living sacrifice. He's not talking there just about what you do on, on the Lord's Day uh, in corporate worship. He's talking about all of life. Uh, all of life is holy and all of life is to be offered up to God as an act of worship. Again, Colossians 3, verse 17, whatever you do, do it in, uh, uh, to the glory of God uh, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and, and do it to the glory of God. All that we do needs to be offered up to God, which means all that we do has to be in accordance with God's commandments. All of life is governed by his will. And we, like Jesus, have to learn to pray every day, not my will, but your will be done. We need to pray that we would uh, worship God according to his commandments in a way that is pleasing to him and live our lives according to his commandments in a way that is pleasing to him. Such worship comes from love, loving God. And we learn to love God when we see how much he has loved us. His love comes first. When we see his love, then we love him. And we see his love, especially at the cross, where he sent his son to die for us so that we might be forgiven and have eternal life. When we see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ and the love of God and the sacrifice of Christ, our hearts are drawn to him to love him. And that love motivates us then to live our lives to his praise in accordance with his commands. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this commandment that teaches us to worship you as you command. Do not worship according to our imagination and to recognize that good intentions are not enough, that we need to uh, study your word to see uh, how we are to worship you and how we are to serve you from day to day. Where we have failed, O Lord, show us our sin that we may repent of it. And thank you that Christ has paid for our sins that we may be forgiven and that your mercies are new every morning. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.